We're going to be in uh, 2 Timothy today. That's where, that's where you need to go, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're not going to get there immediately, but that's, that's where we're going to land in just a minute. If you were not here last week and you have not listened to last week's sermon online, you need to go back. You need to hear last week's sermon. That was part one. This is part two. I'm going to do a little catch-up here, but you, you need to kind of get the full picture from last week to, to, for today to make sense. So if you weren't here, didn't hear uh, part one, make sure you listen to part one. Today's part two. And so we'll pick it up right in the notes, and we're going to pick it up with uh, under the topic last week. So six things from last week I want to emphasize. Number one, last week as we have continually emphasized the central authority of God's Word in our preaching, teaching, decision-making, and planning, God has blessed us in the participation of salvations, baptisms, baby dedication, weddings, and funerals. Now, if, if I didn't make it super clear last week, I want to I draw the direct conclusion that it is because God's Word is central that we are seeing salvations and baptisms and baby dedications and weddings and funerals. I mean, people are going to die, but the kind of funeral that we have. And it's because of God's Word that discipleship is taking place and Bible studies are happening and small groups are taking place. There's a direct correlation between lifting up God's Word and effective ministry. If we don't lift up God's word, we will not see these things happening. We will, we will lose sight of them. We'll wonder why no one's ever being baptized. We'll wonder why no one's ever being saved. It's because of God's word. It's the reminder from God's word to live a certain way, to talk a certain way, to, uh, to share the gospel, to share my testimony, to take chances and let people know that my life has changed and has changed dramatically. So we will always lift up God's word. That was part of last week. Number two, last week we learned that God's word has provided us a motto, a purpose, a vision, and goals. On the directory that we passed out, we have those things printed. So anytime you look at the directory, you can see our church's purpose, our church motto, our vision, and our goals. And interestingly enough, we didn't have to form a committee or pay a consultant or or, or have a campaign to discover what our purpose was. It's right from Scripture. So our marching orders come from God's Word. Number three, last week God Himself, we learned that God Himself has provided us with a growing church family, both in size and maturity. And sometimes the maturity is more exciting than the size. When someone reports how they've grown, what they've learned, how they realize they've grown because of something that happened, what God's doing in their life, what he's teaching them. But God himself has provided us with a growing church family, both in size and maturity, while at the same time providing for us physically, spiritually, and financially. He has provided in all ways. Everything we need, everything that he has led us to desire, God has provided. We were kind of going through a list of things at the deacon meeting yesterday, and it's so easy to forget the things God has done, how we stepped out on faith here and he provided, and we stepped out on faith here and he provided. And, and we, we went through a process that was difficult and God came through for us. So this is all God. It's God's word. It's God's words. It's God himself. And then as we studied God's word, as we looked at particular scriptures, which are listed there, number four now, we'll learn that there is no end 
to Christian living. There is no final arrival. There's no plateau. There's no place we get to when we get to start relaxing. There's no, there's no arriving at a point in life when I don't have to think about or worry about or be concerned with my Christian life, my Christian living, and my church. So there is no end to Christian living. There's no end to the church age. The church will function. You know, and Jesus said the gates of hell will not stand against the church. The church will be here till the very end. When, when Christ returns, we will be here functioning as his chosen body of interacting with the world. The church age will not end. God's desire for growth and obedience will not end. There's never a time when he says, man, you've, you've done so well, I'm just going to stop right there. You've graduated. There's no graduation until death or the rapture. There's no end for that growth and obedience until we enter into eternity. So there, there is no point in time when we say, oh, good, that's enough. Those words don't work in church, and they don't work in your own spiritual life. There is no, oh, good, that's enough. We've made it. We're here We've reached the milestone we've been looking for. That kind of thinking is wrong thinking, and we can't go there. Number five, we were warned never to stop growing as individuals or as a church, lest we become lukewarm and start to die from the inside out. And we got that from Revelation, looking at the church in Sardis and the church in Laodicea. Uh, it, it said, I, I know your deeds, they're neither, they're, they're neither good or bad, they're, they're unfinished. You're, you're lukewarm, you know, you make me want to spit you out. We, we, we don't ever want to go there. Those scriptures are there to warn us not to let these things happen to you. And so number one, two, three, and four are, are ways that we keep number five from happening. Then number six, we considered the fact that in the next eight years, we will either shrink into comfort and complacency as a church or burst forth even more in faithful service and gospel ministry, perhaps reaching even decades into the future. Did you know that that building over there, that area, it's changed quite a bit, but that area was the original church? And at some point in time, that area became inadequate and they built this area? Uh, 1920s this was built so this building we're in is 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 almost a hundred years old it it was built with the future in mind for future growth for future ministry to be filled over time all right and 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 the attitude was we need to grow we need to 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 share the gospel well it, it's been two or three different churches over the years it became heritage bible church a while back and eight years ago, I came here, and together for the last eight years, that's what I can speak of, together for the last eight years, we have said it's the, it's the Bible, that's our authority, we're going to follow the Bible, and it says go and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them, that's our, that's our goal, that's our methodology, and we're reaching out to people. We, we want to make sure that everyone has a church to go to, and everyone is welcome in church, so we work on our are greeting one another. We work on welcoming people in. We, we do things to, to support each other, to lift each other up, to encourage one another. We, we do the things so that one through four are true and number five never happens. But at every, every point in time, there's the risk of number six shrinking 
shrinking away. There's always the risk. It's human nature. We work hard for 40 or 50 years so that we can quit working and then relax. It's called retirement. If you do retirement well, it's great. If you do it poorly, you usually die quickly. That's just the way it works. It's happened too many times to overlook it. But our human nature says, I do this much work, then I quit. I, I serve this much time, then I quit. I, I get to be old one day. Well, in, in, in faith, there is no getting old, and, and we never get to say we've arrived. We never get to say we've been in this church for 100 years, and it's still good, and this is how we're going to be. This is how we're going to stay. This is what we want to do. It's, it doesn't work that way. So we will either, at any moment in time, if we say that, we'll start moving backwards. We said this last week, the very moment in time you quit moving forward, you start moving backwards. It's a universal principle. You stop learning, you start getting dumber. Okay? You stop moving forward, you start moving backwards. You may have a period of time where it's, it's unapparent and you don't see it. But we stand the risk of saying, good enough is good enough. And when you say good enough is good enough, you start moving backwards from that point. So we can shrink into comfort and complacency, or we can burst forth. We can say, no, we, we will not stop. We will follow the Great Commission. We will obey the Great Commandment. We will do the work of an evangelist. We will do the things that we know we're supposed to do. We're not going to stop doing the things we started doing. We're going to be diligent. We're going we're to study God's word. We're going to move forward. And we're going to see where God takes us. We're going to burst forth. Those are the two options. The two options are always go backwards or go forwards. Go backwards is shrinking. Going forwards is, is bursting. And we do that with faithful service and, and ministry. Perhaps reaching even decades. I was thinking about the time frames. You know, I don't know how long that was there. 20 years maybe. 100 years here. What's, what's the next phase look like? How long does Heritage Bible Church have? I think we started in the 2000s. So, you know, we've got some, some time. Are we going to make it 30 years, 40 years, 50 years as Heritage Bible Church? As, as the people change and, and the music changes, are, are we going to continue to serve because we haven't forgotten where we came from? And we haven't forgotten what God did for us at our salvation. And we haven't forgotten how God's provided. That's, that's where we ended last week. And I, and I said there's more. Today is, is mainly the application. I want to ask the question, what will make the difference? What will push us forward in the process and not allow us to fall back? And this is where I want to I go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 5. And I want to read this and, and comment a little bit, then we'll fill in the notes. This is Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. He's basically saying, hey, this is from God. As God is my witness, I stand before God, I say this in front of God, I'm so sure this is what I need to say that I'm, I'm, I'm just, it's, it's all out there. He says, I give you this charge. This is your challenge. Verse 2, preach the word. Preach the word. Sounds familiar. We've already talked about that. Then it says, be prepared in season and out of season. Be prepared. Uh, be thinking about what the future might hold. Be thinking about how you can share the gospel. Be thinking about how you can share your testimony. 
Be thinking about the promises that you're going to need when Satan attacks you. Be thinking about how I'm going to keep God's word in my heart so that I might not sin against him. Be prepared. Think ahead. In season and out of season. When Whatever in season and out of season is for you. When I'm being attacked, when I'm not being attacked. When, when uh, business is good, when business is bad. When the kids are young, when the kids are old. In season and out of season. And it says, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Be prepared to do these things when the time comes in the right way. Verse 3, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Wow, that sounds like that might be today. Right? There will come a time when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and, and turn aside to myths. But you, okay, back to the charge, but you keep your head in all situations. Keep your head. Think clearly. Endure hardship. Okay, endure hardship. Get through it. Get to the end of it. Find a way to make it in the hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Gospel mindset. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. The statement assuming that you're involved in ministry. Because we all should be. Discharge the duties of your ministry. Let's go to your notes. Number, number A, or letter A. Letter A, preach the word. Preach the word. We talked about it last week. We talked about it this week. I won't say any more there today, right now. B, be prepared. This really should be separated. It's be prepared, but it's also connected. Be prepared to correct, to rebuke, to encourage with patience and careful instruction. Be prepared to do this through discipleship, through relationship, through prayer and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Be prepared. Know what the Bible says. Know what the promises are. Know what the expectations are. Know what the guardrails are. Know the principles. Know the character of God. Even if you don't know a verse, oftentimes you should be able to know what's right and wrong because you know who God is. You know how he thinks based on your Bible study. Be prepared. Preach the word so that you can be prepared. And be prepared so that you can interact with others. And when you interact with others, do it with patience and careful instruction. C, keep your head. Don't overreact. Don't overcorrect. Uh, I, I don't know if you've seen this on the highway or maybe experienced it yourself. You're going down the road. Maybe a, a dog or a deer runs out in the road or somebody changes lanes in front of you. And, and instead of just slowing down a little bit or, or giving a little bit of the turn, you jerk the wheel over this way and all of a sudden you're heading that way and you're like, oh no, this is bad news too. And you jerk the wheel back over this way. All of a sudden you're head, heading that way and inevitably somewhere along that path you are in or cause an accident. That's overcorrecting. We can do that spiritually. Don't overreact. Don't overcorrect. Don't overemphasize. For example, we as a church believe in the sanctity of life. We are against abortion. But that's not our main thing. It's not our main thing. We are also against sexual sin. Not our main thing. We could list a bunch of stuff that we think are wrong in our society, but they are not our main thing. Our main thing is, is discipling believers, sharing the gospel with unbelievers, and then letting the Holy Spirit do the work of sanctification in, at His pace 
in his process so that people change over time and grow spiritually. So, so every once in a while, I'll preach a sermon about some controversial things because it needs to be said. But it's not going to be every week. And it's not going to be all the time. Because God's Word is full of stuff. I'm realizing that, that I'm too old to think that I'm going to get through all the stuff. And I'm going to have to be choosy and picky. Uh, you know, it, it's taken us uh, forever and a half, and we're just almost to the end of Acts. And it's been good. There's so much to teach, so much there. We don't overreact, we don't overcorrect. The worst thing we can do when we find out something or somebody tells us something that we didn't want to hear is to overreact. Because that communicates something we probably don't mean to communicate. We need to think, how would God respond? How has God responded? How would God, God want me to respond? And keep my head. I love that phrase. I don't think I've ever noticed it before. I don't think I've ever stopped and said, what does that mean? Keep your head. D, endure hardship. Endure hardship. Get through it, like I said. Why? Because, as a believer, you will be tested. You will be tested for your own spiritual growth, for your own sanctification, for, for the own processes of preparing you for something else. You will be tested, and you will be tempted. Satan will attack you. You will be tempted because of the world, because of the demonic forces. You will be tested. You will be tempted. You will be persecuted. If you are living a Christian life out in the world, you will be persecuted. I don't think there's an equation that doesn't add up that way. Now, persecution comes at a lot of levels and a lot of different ways. But you will be persecuted. Things you don't want will happen because you're a Christian. And they will be imposed by others. That's persecution. It can go all the way up to someone taking your life. You will be persecuted. And you will be left out. You will find yourself not invited. You will find yourself pushed to the side. Uh, on, in many circles and on many occasions, you will find yourself being the oddball, not participating in something everyone else is doing because of your faith and your convictions. These things will happen, and your, your job is to endure it. And not in a, not in a, a you know, a, a, a way like, oh, I'm just going to take it, I'm just going to just beat me some more, it's okay. But in a way like, I'm going to rise up, I'm going to pray for those around me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love my neighbor as myself, I'm going to represent Christ right on the way through this process so that others can see who Jesus is. E, do the work of an evangelist. It doesn't mean that you get your soapbox and you stand in the corner, unless you're called to do that. What it means is that you pray for the unsaved, that you live a life that is salt and light to the world, that you recognize that you're an ambassador for Christ, and, and the gospel is, is in your mind, on your lips, ready to be shared when given an opportunity. You do the work of an evangelist. You seek opportunity, pray for opportunity, and take advantage of opportunity to share Christ. Realizing that you might be step two in a 10-step process. You might also be step 10 in a 10-step process. And everything you do, God says he'll use. And then F, discharge the duties of your ministry. Serve faithfully. If you sign up for something, be there. If you have a job to do, get it done. Do it as if unto the Lord, not as if unto whoever. As if unto the Lord. No one's ever going to see me doing this except God, and I'm going to do it like God's literally standing here watching me do it. I'm going to serve faithfully. I'm not going to uh, be derelict in my duties. 
So, what makes the difference? Well, in this passage, it's these things. A lot of this matches from last week. It's, it's keep doing what, what we are doing. Don't stop doing these things. Because that is what has created the situation we're in. We may just need to do them more. Let's look at number two. Practice the one another's. There's a whole sermon series here. I'm not even going to pretend like we're going to talk about these. But I love the list. The list itself is convicting. Let me read the list and you listen and say, Holy Spirit, what are, what are you asking me to do? Where am I falling short in the one another list? And the one another list is me and others. Me and others. So uh, the first one, I'm just going to read these. Read along with me. Be devoted in love and honor one another above yourself. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be a stumbling block for one another. Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with enthusiastic friendship. I will comment there. The verse actually says greet one another with a holy kiss, but no. <laughs> In context, it's a hearty handshake with a smile and a how you doing. Okay? Just keep it there. Uh, next one, encourage one another, serve one another humbly in love, be humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another, speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, submit to one another, bear with one another, and forgive one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds, do not slander one another, do not grumble against one another, and offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Notice there's only three on the list that start with do not. Everything else is something we're supposed to do. We're going to add to our add to our thought process, add to our daily living some of these things. And then there's some that says, hey, just don't be doing this. But we need to practice the one another's. If we're going to be, here's, what, here's why we invite people to church. This is why you should invite people to church who aren't saved. Because when unsaved people get a chance to sit and watch saved people, they want to be one. Because we're a different breed and a different group. And when we sing and when we encourage and when we pray, the unsaved person says, wow, I think that's a group I want to be a part of. So invite your unsaved friends to church bring your unsafe family members even if they sit and look bored or they don't want to admit they're hearing and they're seeing and that's great evangelism don't lose out on that let's read that statement there how we treat see and deal with each other is critical to our spiritual health by the way please don't think this is all the times one another's are mentioned this is kind of a summary of them i didn't put in any of the repeats you can Google and get a list yourself. Use your Bible app to get a list. It's critical to our spiritual health. It's talked about so much. And it's also critical to the health of the church. Therefore, and I want to add this, expect Satan to attack us in these areas. What's the biggest complaint we hear about churches? You know, people that have been hurt by a church, it's always by somebody in the church. Somebody said something, somebody did something, somebody assumed something. They didn't follow the one another's. And that's Satan attacking. That's Satan saying basically to you, hey, you know what their deal is, and they're a hypocrite. Whatever. 
Expect Satan to attack. Therefore, keep your guard up. Practice the one another's. I want to read Haggai chapter 1. You don't need to turn there because I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. I want to read this to you, and this is a passage we're going to gain a couple more principles from. It, it says, on August 29th, and I love this because it's the New Living Translation, so they actually calculate out like what our date would be. Um, if you read it in any of your other translations, it gives you time frames and it gives you time placement, but they, that means nothing to us. So they just said on August 29th, and I love it. On August 29th of the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. I think we got all the names out of the way now. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies say. The people are saying, so God's saying, hey, this is what you're saying. The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So the issue has been identified. God is identifying the issue. When God shows up with the prophet and he says, listen to me, this is what you're saying, that is the issue. The issue is them saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Verse 3. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. He says, I'm not blessing you. That's what all that means. I'm not blessed. Look at what's happening to you. I'm not blessing you. You're not getting my blessing. Why? Because you live in luxurious houses while my house is in ruins. Now with verse 7. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you now. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Do something about this, okay? Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. That's a key. Be honored. The Lord is honored by how we take care of his house, the temple in particular in this passage. You hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, it's because of you the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. What's happening here? He says, I'm, I need to get your attention. I've subtly tried to get your attention. Now I'm speaking to you, and just so you know it's me, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to increase your discipline so that you know it's me and so that I'm going to get your attention. All right. So this is a conversation that took place between, between God and the people of Israel through the prophet. Let me just highlight a couple things. He says, he says, you keep saying it's not time to rebuild the house of the Lord, but I'm a little bit concerned that you live in really nice houses and, and, and the house of the Lord is in ruins. This is what I've done 
This is what I'm saying to you, okay? I'm telling you to fix this, and until you do, this is what's going to happen, because I want you to know I'm serious about this. Okay, that's, that's the narrative. To your notes, number three, what principles can we take from this? Because this isn't the temple, okay? This is not the temple, so we can't, we can't just draw a straight line, but we can draw some principles. A, we need to be aware of and take care of God's house. We need to be aware of and take care of God's house. The, the many churches strewn all over the world are, are God's houses. We say this belongs to God. My name is not on the ownership papers, neither is any of yours. It belongs to God, and, and it, it's, it's his. And, and therefore, we need to look at it like it's his and take care of it like it's his. Now, we have taken this seriously, and we have done many things to make this place honoring of God. The, the repolstering the pews, the carpet, the deck, the office area over there, um, fixing the under part over here. I mean, all kinds of stuff over the years has been done to honor the building that God has given us, honor the facility that he has given us to meet in as a church. So, so we've done well here, and, and we can't stop. We, at the last deacon meeting, we are saying, hey, sometime in the future, this is going to have to be taken care of. Not right now, but we need to keep an eye on it because this is going to have to be taken care of. We need to, to honor God through his building. We need to be aware of it. B, we need to take care of, to care for God's house in the same way or more than our own house. That was his complaint. You guys are living high on the hog and, and my place is a mess. That was the complaint. So we, we need to have that mindset. And I, I think we've done pretty good with that too. See, here's, here's the principle here. God is honored when what belongs to him is cared for. And, and you can take that way beyond a church because your children belong to God. Your spouse belongs to God. Your house belongs to God. Your finances belong to God. Your future belongs to God. Your eternal destiny belongs to God. And we need to honor all those things as if they belong to God. We should, but we, we can't forget about God's house. So, so there's principles from there, and I want to take those principles, and I want, to, I want to move on from there. Number four, questions every church must ask itself. And, and by every church, let's just be honest, our church. We need to ask these questions. Number one, do we stop growing when the space is full? Do we stop growing? Do we do what the warning said not to do earlier. Do we stop growing? We have two services because one service was getting too full. Uh, you know, we're not quite back to where we were before COVID, but there was not enough seats before COVID. Now we've kept it this way, so there's room for everybody. But you know what there's not enough room for? The things we want to do with the children. Uh, the things we want to do with Awana, which is also children. There's I want to tell you, every inch, every open place, everywhere there's a door with a room behind it of our church is being used right now. Uh, we set Jacob up with a little office. His office is upstairs in the storage room. We moved everything to one side and said, you can have your table here. The internet gets there, so it works. Um, all the Awana stuff is being stored in the, in the tiny room upstairs. The, the children are using every space. My office is being used for a variety of things. Every, everything's being used. Do we stop growing when the space is full? Number two, 
is maintaining through birth and death a viable plan for longevity. Are, are Jacob and Tiffany going to have enough kids to replace everyone who dies? It's a, it's a, it's a task. No! The answer is no! Right? Do you know that is the plan for most churches? Every church thinks that their kids are going to go up, they're not going to move away. They're going to get married, bring other people in, they're going to have kids, and we're going to have enough kids and enough marriages to maintain our population so that we continue on just like we have been for the last 20 years. That's what a lot of churches think is going to happen. That's their plan for the future. And you know what happens to those churches in 25 to 30 years? They close their doors because there's, there's nobody there and there's nobody there who can still do the things they used to do. It's a, it's a very bad plan. By the way, the answer to number one is no, in case you didn't figure that out. Do we stop growing? No, because that would be going against God's command. Is maintaining through birth and death a viable plan for longevity? Absolutely not. So number three, do we look ahead? Well, yes, we do. We do look ahead. We do say, where are we going? What's God saying to us? We pray for leading. Do we look ahead? Yes. Do we try to prepare for what God is doing? Yes. We try to prepare for what God is doing. We ask the question, how can we solve this issue before it's, before it's a, a huge issue? And do we seek God's, do we seek his guidance every step of the way? Absolutely. This is what our deacons are doing. This is what our prayers have been. This is what your call to prayer is. This is what your call is. I am issuing a call to prayer. Because we move together or we don't move. We progress together or we don't move. We grow together or we don't grow. Okay, our maturity is a, is a corporate thing. So we look ahead, we prepare for what God is doing, and we seek his guidance. Your job is to pray for God's guidance. Your job is to say, God, what do you want the church to do? What part do you want me to play? Do you need me to volunteer where I have never volunteered before? Do you need me to, to give resources where I've never given resources before? Do you need me to get on board with something scary because it seems to be where you're taking us? That's, that's the prayer. That's the challenge. We're not going to stop growing. If, if, if the church ever says, Pastor Dave, knock it off. We're happy where we're at. Quit trying to get more people. That's going to be a negative turning point in my career. I, I, I don't think I can deal with that. And so we will fight it out. And somebody will win. And somebody will lose. We're not going to stop growing. Here's the specific question for Heritage Bible Church right now. Will our future fit into our current facility? Will our future fit into our current facility? We're praying for 10 new families. We're praying for more children. We're praying for the youth group to grow. We're praying for Awanas to grow. We're praying for gospel to be shared. We do this all the time, and I hope you're doing it at home. If these prayers are answered, and you know why we pray them? Because God has instructed us that this is his will. And when we pray in his will, those things happen. And when we pray about them, he strengthens us and he guides us. And that's why we have gospel conversations. And that's why we make invitations to church and that's why when someone says hey i go to i'm looking for a church we go oh i know one and we have the cards that we hand out we do all these kinds of things that's why we're excited and, and we wear our t-shirts out in public when we're out doing stuff 
because, because there's a future. Will our future fit into the church facility? Will the future God has called us to fit in the church current facility? If not, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go way out on the limb. I'm going to tell you this right now. The current thought process among your deacons, and I, and I want it to be the process that you have, the current thought process, is that our future will not fit in this facility. And, and we are not allowed to increase the size of this, for this facility. That was the plan. That was the plan, was to add space to this facility. And we are not allowed to do that. There's a, a 1972 act on the books that prohibits us from doing that in any way, shape, or form. We have looked for the loopholes. We have asked the questions. We sat down with the county and asked the questions. There is no loophole. So, so it's not going to fit in our current facility. So we have to expand somewhere. What that means, we don't know. That's why we're seeking God. Okay, but we're not going to fit in our current facility. If not, if we're not going to fit, then we must either change our future by disregarding God's commands and desires, we need to forget about everything we talked about last week in the first part of today's sermon and say, God, that's not where we're willing to go because we are comfortable. And don't mess with our comfort. And you know, I say that, people have said that, churches have said that, we're not going to say that. So we either have to change our future, and I think you get the idea that's not on the table, we have to change our future, or we change our facilities so that we can fulfill God's commands. And so we're asking the question, what can we do to our facilities? Is there expansion that way, or this way, or that way? Is, is there a, a way we can, can expand across the street, or left or right? Is God going to open something up? Yeah, there's a house right there. And yeah, there's a house right there. But you know what God can do? God can open up sails. God can open up land. There's a field over here. We don't know what, what's going on there. That may be a possibility. We're seeking God, asking God to lead us. And you know what? Here's the scariest part. I'd like to say I'm afraid of it, but I'm not afraid of it. But it goes beyond where I want to go, to be really honest, and goes beyond my comfort zone. It goes beyond where I've ever been willing to consider in the past is that God may walk up one day and say, hey, you know what, you can't have that, you can't have that, and you can't have that. But you can have that over there, or you can have that over there, and we may have to move. I'm, that's not what I'm praying for. But if God takes us there, we're going to have to consider it, and we're going to have to ask the question. And so, eight years of being your pastor, eight years of, moving us in this direction where we're seeking the salvation of others, asking people to join us in our efforts here in the church, looking to, to grow and fulfill God's commands and, and to become more mature over time. This is where we're at. And we either step back and start to die or we keep moving forward. We might just move our toes forward two inches, two inches, two inches, two inches before God gives us a leap. I don't know what it's going to be. I wish I had answers. I, I, you know, the deacons, our joke is that someone hasn't learned patience yet because we're still having to exercise it. We're still having to learn it. And, and, and then the answer is, God is obviously has something in mind that the timing has not happened yet. And so we are waiting for God because God will give us what's best. And so you pray in, in, in those means. But I want you to start thinking. God may ask for something. 
that is beyond our normal capacity of our imagination. And when he does, it's God. And then and we follow. There's no time frame. Six months, two years, 15 years, 20 years, it's in God's hands. You know, we, we might all be gone before anything happens, which means that we're going to have to do better at using the space we have, do better at organizing, do better at scheduling. We're going to have to do better at sharing. We're going to have to do better to one another's. And that's where we're at right now. That's what we can do right now, and that's what we will do right now. We're going to maximize everything we can, and, and we're going to learn to get along better, and we're going to do these things. So we have our marching orders for right now, the one another's and what we read in 2 Timothy. And we have God's, God's future plan, which we're going to just listen for. And, and I want you to pray in, in, those, in those things. So, Father God, thank you for our time together. Thank you for uh, allowing us to, to talk about this. I pray that, again, that, that the Holy Spirit would let the, the message be heard that is from you. And, and Father, I've, I've shared my own thoughts. Um, I'm like everyone else. Change is not comfortable. But if, if you're bringing a change, then we welcome it. For now, help us to serve you as best we can in what you've given us, with what you've provided for us, with whom you've given us. And, and let us serve each other and our community and our children. And let us do your work faithfully, never forgetting where we've come from, never forgetting what we've done along the way, never losing our first love, and never having deeds unfinished. I ask this in your son's name. Amen.